last week, last week we began a series in Acts um, called Roots of Revival, uh, and we're just doing a four-week sort of flyover Acts. We're not really getting stuck into all the, the text so much, but, but just looking at some of the themes, the patterns, the ways of the early church, some of the things they did uh, that enabled them to see God at work through them. It was, uh, they had a posture and a way about them that enabled them to see God amongst them and see people come to know Jesus. There's so many times in Acts where it says they did this and then the Lord added to them and then the Lord, so many people were saved, so many people um, were baptized and they, whether it was one or whether it was 3,000, um, but God was doing something amongst this early church and they had um, some patterns, there's some things that they did that I think we can learn from and I think we can uh, employ in our own life. And so last week we talked about prayer in the early church and how they were so reliant on God. You know, Jesus sent them with this command to go and make disciples of all nations and baptize them and teach them. Um, but he did it with this, this bookends of authority and presence in their life in the sense that you're only doing this because I'm telling you you can do it. This only is accomplished because of the authority and the power that's going to be at work through you. And then he continues that by in Acts 1, uh, I think it's verse 8, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you to be my witnesses. Don't, don't worry about starting until you receive that power because there's no use. And so we looked at the big idea last week is nothing of God happens without God. Nothing of God happens without God. And that is a huge promise, but it's also a huge burden to put off our shoulders. That the people that you and I want to see come to know Jesus is a miracle of God. It's Him at work in their life, not us convincing them. You know, if we can convince someone into the kingdom, someone else can convince them out of it. But if God saves them, if it's the power of God at work in someone's heart, if He changes someone's heart from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh, then God saves them and He keeps them in the kingdom. And so let's pray that God would do that. Let's pray that, um, that God would move. Uh, we talked about this idea that God's purpose for our life is always accompanied by His power. And so He gives us this promise of, you'll be my witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. But you'll have the power to do it. And the power will be through the Holy Spirit. You know, God calls us to be purposeful. He calls us to do things, but He always desires a power attached. He won't call us to something and then say, oh, good luck with that. That's um, too hard. It's impossible. It's impossible for us. It's possible for Him. And prayer was the default, not the last resort in the early church. They turned to God for everything. Every need, big or small, uh, they turned to God. Through small groups, we looked at some of the prayers and some of the things they prayed in the early church, and they were just praying about praying about everything. Today, this morning, we're going to look at uh, the theme of this, the Holy Spirit. I mean, you can't read the book of Acts and not see that it's all about the Spirit. It's all about the Holy Spirit. Uh, and so we're going to look at some of the things that happen and some of the the ideas of the Holy Spirit. And as I was putting this message together, oh, it just felt like it was so clunky. And so I hope it comes out. There's so much I want to say and so much I want to get uh, through that um, I know that the Holy Spirit is the one that enables us to hear uh, and enables us to change and, and, and become what God wants us to become. And so I trust in that we'll do that this morning. Let's read a, a couple of verses to set it up and then we'll see what we discover together. Acts 2. I'm going to read uh, verses 1 to 13. Acts 2, 1 to 13. It says this, When the day of Pentecost had arrived, they were all together in one place. Remember, they were all in the upper room and they were praying. They were waiting for the Holy Spirit to come. This, this is where they were. 
all together in one place. And suddenly, a sound like that of a violent rushing wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were staying. And they saw tongues like flames of fire that separated and rested on each of them. And then they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were Jews staying in Jerusalem, devout people from every nation under heaven. And when this occurred, a crowd came together and was confused because each one heard them speaking in his own language. And they were astounded and amazed, saying, Look, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it each of them, each of us, can hear them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamite, Elamites, 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 those who live in Mesopotamia, in Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Iberia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Lydia near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the magnificent acts of God in our own tongues. They were all astounded and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? For some sneered and said, they're drunk on new wine. God, we pray this morning that you would enable us to hear your voice as only you can do. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would help us to to put into action the things that you speak to us about this morning. Help us to live this life of faith. In Jesus' name, amen. One of the things I love about being a parent is um, seeing my young, uh, my youngest at the moment begin to talk and, and get words out of his mouth um, and get really frustrated when he learns a new word and he's obviously telling you what it is, but you have no idea what it means. It just all sounds very similar. Like that's what he does and he points and then eventually you sort of walk down and go, oh, you mean pineapple and try to work out what blank means pineapple. Uh, but it's, you know, some words he's getting really good at speaking. Well, in my, in my mind, they're, you know, he's getting very good at speaking some words. Um, but then in front of other people, I, he says something and I go, oh, I know what he means. And they say, what do you mean? And it's clear in my mind because I listen to him every day. I tune into his voice every day. I understand what he's speaking about. And it's very clear. And, you know, I think it's similar with the Holy Spirit is that sometimes when we don't listen or we're not in the habit of tuning in to what the Holy Spirit's speaking about, we can be a bit like me. That makes no sense. But when we tune in and listen every day, we begin to understand and comprehend what the Spirit is saying and what He's doing in our lives. And so part of what I want to share with you this morning is this idea, and it's, and it's simple again, is that the more you listen, the more you hear. The more you listen, the more you hear. The clearer it becomes. And the, one of the things we see throughout the Spirit, uh, throughout the Word, sorry, around the Spirit is this idea of clarity and order. And we're talking about this order in history spirit brings clarity it brings unity it brings a sense of clear direction and we see that and we'll, and we'll see that as we live in what seems like chaotic pentecostal experience it's actually uh, a moment of clarity for some of us so the more you listen the more you hear it's the spirit of god is a speaking spirit he wants to reveal jesus to us and through us to us and through us the holy spirit wants to reveal jesus to us and through us. And that's what we see time and again in the book of 
emerges when the Spirit of God speaks to them about Jesus and then their statement about Jesus, the power of Jesus. Let's look at another scripture. Um, one we looked at last week in Acts 1, verse 6 to 8. This is Jesus speaking. And when they came together, they asked him, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom to Israel at this time? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the periods that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so we notice here that um, the Holy Spirit's not really given for political purposes, but for mission. He reveals this. It's like the disciples are thinking about restoring the kingdom and so that's, it's not, that's not the, the purpose the purpose is that Jesus would be made known that the gospel would spread that the gospel would spread and so the Holy Spirit is the great missionary of the early church and of our church of our life he's a great missionary in the sense that he reveals Jesus to us he speaks of Jesus to us and he speaks through us to others of Jesus he is the great missionary the Holy Spirit is given so that all people might come to know Jesus, that the gospel is clearly understood and received, that the hidden things of God, the mysteries of God, are revealed to all of us as seen by everyone. We see through, um, through this story um, some imagery that we, we touched on last week, and I want to touch on it again, around the, uh, around the temple and the presence of God. And so when they're in that place in Acts 2, um, Pentecost happens and then there's like a rushing wind that comes from heaven and there's tongues of fire that sit on each person's head. And I don't know if you've seen any um, pictures of this before. I watched some videos and saw some pictures of this and everyone's got some different interpretations of what these tongues of fire look like. I'm not sure. I mean, it's pretty amusing. I don't know if people would have laughed at that or, um, or if they were... I don't think that's the point. I think the imagery is what is important for us to see. Is this idea of rushing wind and fire. That it, it was symbolic of the temple of God. The temple of God. And, and in the Old Testament, the temple carried the sense of the presence of God. And uh, the presence of God was known by clouds, by pillars of fire, um, and by rushing winds. And, and you can read all these stories in Exodus, Leviticus, Chronicles, you know, there's different passages that talk about this. But, it, but for the Jews and for the people that were in that moment, they would have immediately recognized this imagery. It would have been clear to them that it's like, hang on a second, this is God's presence. This is what was only known in the temple of God and now it's sort of like drawn and, and, and around people in a house. This is like, this is a massive event. This is a transformational event in the life of the early Christians, the early church. In Solomon's temple um, in the Old Testament, it housed a place where people could meet with God, where the priests could come and meet with God and enjoy His presence. Through the Old Testament, though, we see that sin comes in and, and destroys the sense of the presence and the presence of God. The kings of Israel didn't always obey God. They didn't always walk with God. And they didn't always get to enjoy God's presence the way God set that up for them. And so we see that the new temple is God's temple. That no longer is it limited to a couple of priests, a couple of Levites, 
theology now is for anyone and everyone for God's purpose to become present in every single person and everything. On the day of Pentecost come, as had arrived, sorry, Acts 2, 1, 1 and 2, they were all together in one place and suddenly that sound like a rushing wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were at. And so in Acts, we begin to see this reference to wind and fire, symbolic of God's presence and the Spirit. Even in the Old Testament, uh, the name for Spirit is this Hebrew word, ruach. In fact, we practice saying ruach. It's always good when a preacher brings out some Hebrew or Greek. I've got some Greek words coming up too. Some of you guys know a lot. That's uh, that's kicking off now, guys. But the ruach means, um, it's either breath or wind. Breath or wind. Even in the Old Testament, the name for the Spirit was this idea of wet or breath. Breath or wind. And so, again, it's this idea of a rushing wind is clearly God's presence through His Spirit. And the Jews would have understood this more than we to be His presence amongst His people. The temple is no longer a building or a place, but a people that God has saved. And that was part of the reason why the apostles and Stephen and those uh, were were hunted down by Herod and, and, and those in Jerusalem because they were saying that the presence of God was now amongst His people and they didn't like that idea. They didn't like that suddenly they didn't, they were losing power around God's presence. Even in 1 Peter 2 and 5, he talks about this idea of living stones. You yourselves as living stones, spiritual house. No longer is it the, the physical stones, but now it's you and I. It's the people of God that are the temple of God. Built up to become who God has destined us to be. And this is the Holy Spirit's presence. And even in Leviticus, there's a, you can read a story of um, two people that walk into the temple and they go in in a, in a way that they shouldn't go uh, and they're struck down dead. And that story is sort of mirrored in, in Acts. I think it's Acts 5. Uh, Ananias and Sapphira uh, walk in and they, they come in in an unworthy sort of sense and they're, they're killed in an instant. And it, again, it's this, I mean, there's more in that story than just this, but it is symbolic of the temple presence of God, of what is happening in this moment. The Pentecost experience is is more than just uh, a nice story, but it is ushering in a new era of God's presence, a new sense of God's presence amongst His people. God's presence is serious, and it's not something that should be looked at lightly. Even the sense that God's presence is in us is serious, and not something that should be looked at lightly. I think that's one of the points of that story of Ananias and Sapphira and what we should understand, the weight of God's presence in us, amongst us. In fact, I, I, I um, didn't have the article up here, but the serious presence of Almighty God, the presence of the creator of the universe is in us, is amongst us. And so the Holy Spirit fills people in Acts, symbolic of the new temple, presence of God is amongst you and people. So the Holy Spirit is promised, it's given, and when people understand this, it's very significant. The Holy Spirit, God's presence in us. And God's presence in you through the Holy Spirit is what is this force, this energy, this movement of God in us to bring about change. Throughout the Old Testament, we saw that when the Spirit comes, whenever the Spirit's with you, comes with a force.
to bring to that moment the first mention of the Spirit of God and empowerment and creation in Genesis 1 is the story of Joseph in Genesis 42. And how the Holy Spirit enables Joseph, brings about um, some power for Joseph to understand what Pharaoh's dreams are and interpret them for his benefit. We see that throughout the Old Testament, is that what can be described as disorder is brought about with order through the Holy Spirit in creation. So that you've got the Spirit in the Old Testament hovering over the waters in this sense of like disorder, this chaos at the beginning. And then the Holy Spirit is there at creation to bring order out of disorder. To bring about a, a structured sense of creation. In the old, in, and Joseph's dreams the same. It's like this chaotic dream, this disorderly understanding of what is happening. And the Spirit comes and brings order to the disorder. Brings clarity around what this meant. Brings clarity around what this meant. The prophets seeing a day when life when death, health of the unhealthy would come. Again, we see this order from disorder, life from death. And then we get this account in Acts 2, talking about wind and fire, the temple and the presence of God, where it talks about this idea of tongues. And it's all these people from all these nations. They're all gathered on this day. They see this strange rushing wind and tongues of fire. I mean, I mean that's a strange bit for me. The strange bit for them is that they hear the words in their own language, but people are speaking their own language. The Galileans are speaking their own language. And again, this, if you know your scripture, you know this sort of references back to Babel in, I think it's Genesis 11, the story of Babel. And there's people and they're trying to build a tower to God and, and God says something along the lines of, oh, if they're all united and they speak the same language, speak the same language nothing will be impossible they'll be able to build a tower to heaven. Like, I don't know if God's having a joke there with what's happening there or he actually thinks that. Anyway, the point is that God separates them and disperses them and gives them all new languages. Causes chaos so they can't communicate. And then in in Acts 2 in Pentecost, that chaos is sort of brought to order by the Holy Spirit's empowerment of people speaking every language. And now suddenly what was once dividing people is now uniting people. God is bringing this sense of clarity around the message that he's trying to speak. So that it's no longer just for one people group. It's no longer just for the Israelites, it's not just for the Jews, but it's for all people. In fact, that's what Acts 1 talks about, is for Jerusalem, but it's also for Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. I mean, this is radical thinking in light of what we have seen. That the message of the cross, the message of Jesus, the message of God, would be for everyone. Would be for everyone. Unyielding love of God. Everyone was, everyone that was present in that moment was clearly able to hear the good news in that moment. It wasn't drunkenness as some people thought it was, but it was the unifying presence of the Spirit. Verses four to six of Acts two, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking with the tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were Jews staying in Jerusalem, devout believers from every nation. And when the sound of the crowd came together and was confused, they could not hear them speaking with other tongues. Order from disorder. And then we see 
to match like Saul's conversion. One that is um, breathing out murderous threats, killing people, killing those isolated. Um, he has an encounter with the Holy Spirit and it changes him death to life. I mean, of all people that you would expect to turn and become a Christ follower, Saul would have been the last one. Saul would have been the last one. But he changes and he turns spiritually, giving life to the dead. Jesus being raised from the dead by the power of the Spirit. The same Spirit now dwells in you. It is the life-giving Spirit, the Spirit of change, the Spirit of order. It's the presence of God. And it brings about this incredible unity. Incredible unity. Unprecedented unity in the Bible around God's people with the Spirit, one of His roles. I mean, amongst many roles, I'm not going to touch on that this morning. It's a sense of unity. We're going to speak more about that next week. And, and the, the community of God is something that marked the early church, the way they lived in unity, the way they lived in unity around the purposes and things of God. But here they're unnamed. The gospel spread between Jerusalem, Samaria, Judah, Filled with the Spirit, tongues, wind, um, tongues of fire, sorry, wind, and then they speak this weird language, this other tongue. Now, we could get into debates around tongues and, and what that means for us today. And I would simply say that study for yourself. Study for yourself. I mean, there is times throughout Acts where the Holy Spirit is given and tongues are the result. There are times in Acts where, where the Spirit is given and tongues are not the result. Do your own study. I know in my life, I speak in tongues. I speak in five different tongues and it builds and edifies my faith. And I encourage you. And I did that not because of some hyped up event or someone pushing me over or anything like that. I was simply 16. I was living in a caravan in my, at my parents' house, right? Yeah. I wasn't kicked out. I was kicked out of home. Like that's what I tell my parents. I kicked them out of home. Living in a caravan. I was living in a caravan. I read a book, reading the Bible in the caravan. Simply prayed, God, this is what it is. That's what's happened in my life. Give me a sense of it. And from that moment, I began speaking in tongues. It was simple as that for me. But I encourage you that tongues is a gift from God that is used for His purposes. And it's also something that can really benefit and edify the church in the things that we have to do. For the people that were there that were not um, speaking in tongues or other languages, they looked at the event and they said, hmm, it looks like they're pretty good grub. It looks like they've just had too much wine. I mean, first thing in the morning, a bit strange that this would be the time that they would do it, but I didn't bother reading the explanation. I pretty much just went with it. And I mean, we could spend the whole, and I, I was tempted to go down this road anyway, but we could look at drunkenness and the Holy Spirit and the parallels of that. Um, being drunk with euphoria, there's just joy and excitement about everything that can be exciting. Um, not that I'm speaking from experience, but there are drunk people that I've um, encountered in my life and just the way that they walk, you know, obvious that they're not really drunk. Um, I think as a Christian, we should, there should be a way that we walk that should evidence that to us. I mean, I'm, I'm drawing the parallels here of drunkenness and being filled with the Spirit, bold in action, the company that is surrounded you, someone who is a, 
how drunk he seemed. He wasn't really there. He came back. He came back to the source. And suddenly there are other people who can always look back to the source of life. Even the um, throughout Acts, he constantly says they were full of the Spirit. They were full of the Spirit, filled with the Spirit. Even that word, full, filled with the Spirit, has the sense of they were filled and, and continually filled. It wasn't just like a once-off filling. It was like they were continually filled with the Spirit. They were continually going back and seeking the Spirit of God. Someone who was drunk will also um, say things they might not normally say. They'll be a bit more bold in what they say. And I think it's also quite important to have this boldness and courage to maybe say things that we wouldn't otherwise say because we're so close. The Spirit can maybe timid person them and give someone who's a bit shy some courage to speak out in their presence. Acts 7, 54 and 55 talks about this idea. Oh, sorry. Talks about how this, and the verses speak about how the Spirit speaks to, to us about Jesus and then through us about Jesus. To us about Jesus and through us about Jesus. So firstly, um, the Spirit is revealing Jesus to Stephen in Acts 7 verse 40, 54 and 55. When they heard these things, they were enraged and gnashed their teeth at, at him. Stephen had just given a big speech in Jerusalem. He goes to the Old Testament about what's happening with, with God's law and, and they were furious that he was doing this. And so Stephen, full of the Spirit, verse 55, gazed into heaven and he saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. 1 Corinthians 12, 1 to 3, now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be unaware. You know that you were pagans who used to be enticed and led astray by mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is cursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Spirit. 1 16, 14 says, He will glorify me because he will take what is mine and declare it to me. So the Holy Spirit is the great revealer of Jesus. That verse in 1 Corinthians 12, no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Spirit. The fact that we even confess Jesus as our Savior is the work of the Spirit. It's because the Spirit is at work in your life that enables you to do that. John 16, when Jesus promising the Holy Spirit, he says, the Holy Spirit will glorify me. He will reveal all the truth, all the things that I've been teaching about. He's going to be pointing you back to that truth. He's going to be pointing you back to me. Have you ever noticed in church, we don't sing and worship and praise the Holy Spirit a lot. And that's not a problem in my mind. That's not a problem at all. Because the Holy Spirit's role in a church and in a believer's life is to glorify Jesus. Is to point people to Jesus. You know, um, the Holy Spirit is part of the, the Trinity, the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And each of them have different functions. Each of them have different functions. One is not less important than the other. But each of them have different functions. It's like the church. Each person has different functions. One is not more than the other. Even if one gets more attention than another person. Even if one person gets more attention than another person, it does not make one more important than another. The same in marriage and in the family. Each person has a different function. One is not more important than the other. Attention is not equally important. 
things we didn't even know existed. So through the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit speaks of Jesus to the to the church to give boldness to the empowered authority. first seven chapters of Acts are about this idea that Jesus would be proclaimed to God to his people, to his church. Firstly, that's where the mission of the Holy Spirit starts. And that's where the mission of the Holy Spirit starts in our lives as well. That Jesus would be revealed in our own hearts. That the Holy Spirit's role is that we would see Jesus, the finished work of Jesus. Holy Spirit speaks about Jesus to us. The more we listen, the more we hear. The more we listen, the more we hear. We need to ask the Holy Spirit to speak. We need to listen for the Holy Spirit to speak. It's good for us. It's good for our faith. But it doesn't finish there. As soon as the Holy Spirit speaks to the believers, though, it's like now they're enabled and empowered and equipped to go on from there and speak to others about Jesus. So the Holy Spirit speaks of Jesus to us as believers, but also to the world. The more you listen, the more you hear. The more you hear, the more you tell. The Holy Spirit is the one who builds believers to go out and be witnesses of Jesus, to speak about Jesus. Acts 4, 31, when they had prayed, the place they were assembled was shaken, and they were all filled with the Spirit and began to speak the word of God boldly. They were full of the Spirit, and then they began to speak the word of God boldly. And the word of God is is the, the story of redemption. continues to share the story of the Spirit's work through people and ordinary people at that. I mean, these people, Stephen and and Peter and Paul and and the people that we read about in Acts, they weren't like extraordinary people in their day. In fact, Acts 4 verse 13 says this. It says, when they observed the boldness of Peter and John and realized they were uneducated and unstrung men, they were amazed and recognized they had been with Jesus. I mean, you want some Greek here? Agramatos and idiotos. That's the two Greek words for uneducated and untrained. And I mean, you don't even have to be a Greek scholar to sort of get an idea of what those two words might mean. Agramatos and idiotos. And maybe if you are agramatos, you are no. Illiterate, unlearned, idiots, unskilled. I mean, these were ordinary men. They were like, you can't get more ordinary than these Peter and John. Like they were just simpletons. They hadn't learned anything. They hadn't been skilled. They weren't good at artistic things. They weren't good at anything. They were just ordinary people. But they were bold. There was something remarkable remarkable about them. And what was remarkable? The presence of the Spirit. The presence of God. They They had been with Jesus. They had been with Jesus. There's something remarkable. These are ordinary people that Jesus chose to fill with the Spirit and begin the church with. You don't need to be literate, learned, or skilled to belong in the mission and the purpose of Jesus. What do we need? We need simply the presence of Jesus in our lives. They had been with Jesus, and now we have the presence of the Holy Spirit in us. The boldness of the Holy Spirit brings to the early church, brings the early apostles, and allows them to speak about Jesus to those who don't know him. It gives them incredible boldness, incredible ability to do what they were previously unable to do, unwilling to do. And we see through Acts, even chapters 8 onwards, 
we look at this offering and it's uh, the actual um, the breakup of Acts and got verse chapters one to seven and talks about uh, the gospel spread where from two to seven Judea and Samaria got saved as well the names of those people we see from chapter eight onwards this gospel spread the Holy Spirit speaking through people through the word I mean even in Acts story of the Ethiopian eunuch and he's reading the word of God and the Holy Spirit speaks boldly to the Ethiopian eunuch through the word and enables him to come to faith in Jesus. We're going to hear more about that as Peter talks about the importance of the word of God in the early church. Through community as well, we see that Acts 3, we end at Acts 3.42 and 47, this idea of gospel community, just breathing spread was just seeing people come to know Jesus just by the fact that they confess the way they went from an evangelist to a God the gospel is this universal gospel as we see through Acts it is for all all walks of life it's no longer limited to those who are just walking around gossiping it is now for everyone now this is revolutionary gospel spread doesn't matter who you are the spirit breaks down any wall that might be put up in culture to say the good news is for you the gospel belongs to all people regardless of race gender wealth education sexuality family background age the gospel is good news for all people and that's what acts is celebrating the gospel literally means good news gospel is good news for you and me we're a part of this outflow we're a part of the empty earth that the word of god invades we're not part of the first church gathering we're not part of the big leagues we're the outflow we're the generation we need to thank we need to thank god for pentecost that he enabled and allowed the holy spirit to go and witness to all people because we're included in that think for a second that we are somehow an insider we're an outsider we're a gentile we're the enemy of god and god chooses through us the holy spirit through himself like he did paul to go and share and speak about jesus the holy spirit's role in the early church was not the evangelist the holy spirit was the key to the apostles seeing these missionaries now there is clarity in the holy spirit's work the more you we tune into what the spirit is saying the more we will see and understand that and the more we see and understand about jesus the more we'll go and tell others about him we won't be able to stay hidden the holy spirit is the power that enables us to go out and proclaim the good news the spirit is sending the church and showing the world showing the world jesus so be filled with the spirit again continually be filled with the spirit he is the one that shows you beauty shows these things about you so i wonder as we finish we might sing together this afternoon the team can come up and sing a song together if you want to sing and i wonder
this morning whether you might just pray this prayer with me. And maybe if you want to be included in this prayer, you want to pray along this afternoon, feel free to take your hand and pray. Just to be asked to fill with the Spirit for your own benefit and for the benefit of those who don't yet know Him. That you might hear Him more, that you might sense Him and perhaps He's revealed to you more. That you might be bold and quick to share His love with others. So Jesus, we we take a moment just now and we thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit. We thank you that you've promised to give us a unique gift so that we might know more of you and we might be able to speak more about you. And so we ask you, Holy Spirit, right now to fill us fill us in continual prayer. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would be the, the one who leads and guides us in prayer. That we'd be a spirit-filled people. That we would glorify Jesus in again. 